This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so grateful that you joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you that this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I greet you with those words each and every day. But I recognize that sometimes it's really hard to rejoice, in particular when you're going through your own crises or crises within your family. Today, one of the biggest conversations that's happening in our culture has to do with identity and sexuality. And today I want to have that conversation on the program because I believe that it's where many of us are living. I believe that many of us are processing through questions of our own heart or certainly journeying with someone we love as they process through questions of sexuality and identity. Today I want to speak uh, in particular about transgenderism and uh, what it means to go through a gender transition what would motivate that in the heart of someone? Uh, what happens within our, not only bodies, but our hearts and our souls when we go through gender transition? And can Christ redeem uh, someone who's gone through that? Can Christ even use for his glory someone who has gone through a gender transition and maybe come to an awareness and uh, even repentance before God concerning it? Now, before you change that dial, and I know some may want to do it, I promise you a couple of things. Number one, we're going to talk about this with tact, recognizing that some of you may be picking up kids from school or traveling with kids in a car, uh, but we do want to have this conversation in an appropriate way. Secondly, I promise you, if you are someone who is considering a gender transition, that you will uh, be blessed by this conversation. Uh, my goal today is not to cast stones, not to bring further condemnation or to uh, just con consider being um, un unnecessarily derogatory. Uh, my goal today is to provide a safe space for us to talk about a conversation that I think is important to the hearts of many. And I want you to be a part of that conversation, even if you find yourself disagreeing with me. And then Thirdly, I want to speak to those who are journeying with someone you love who is going through a gender transition, or maybe they already have, and you're wondering, how do I love them while still holding on to my convictions in Christ? Well, all these questions and so much more are wrapped up in the powerful testimony and autobiography of someone who I just respect and appreciate so much, Laura Perry Smaltz. She's an author and a speaker who uh, has shared her story on many platforms of how Jesus Christ rescued her from a transgender identity. She tells her story uh, in such a powerful way in her autobiography. It's entitled Transgender to Transformed. It's a story of transition that will truly set you free. Laura joins me today. Hey, Laura, how are you? 
I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. It is so awesome to have you on, and I, I just want you to know I appreciate you uh, taking out time to uh, to be with me today, and we'll talk a little bit later about Perry as well, but please pass on our thank yous to Perry as well for just carving out time to uh, to talk about your story. So let's talk about your story. You know, when you talk about um, sexuality and identity, I think people automatically begin to create within them stereotypes, right? Yeah. Of a person's <laughs> upbringing, what they experienced, all those things. So I want you to talk about your upbringing because you were raised in a Christian home. And if I'm right, even went to Christian school, didn't you? I did. Yeah. And, uh, and we were one of those families that we were at church every time the door was open and involved in every little program. And I was in Bible drill as well. So I was memorizing a ton of scripture and I heard about Jesus all the time, but I, I don't know that I ever really understood the gospel. And I don't remember ever having any kind of transforming experience as a child of really coming to Christ. It was always sort of I remember being told as a very young child that I was a Christian. I remember singing the little song that, you know, is very cute for children, but it says, you know, I'm a C, I'm a CH, I'm a CHRAS guy. I'm a Christian. And I remember being told I was a Christian at four or five years old. Um, And so I don't know that I ever understood that it was a decision that I needed to make. But, you know, my mom, and I I tell a little bit of her story really to share the redemption. And because so many parents identify with her not to bring any condemnation on her because God has given me so much grace for her and understanding what she went through now that I'm older. So I don't blame my mother, but, um, but the reality was she was raised in a very legalistic home that was very harsh. I think in a lot of ways. And, uh, her poor father, um, was kind of doing the same thing where he was kind of, he was working three different jobs. And then on top of that, he was gone almost every night doing some kind of mission work and she would go along with him. And so, she kind of had that that idea of what it meant to be a Christian was being um, just more and more and more busy. And she said she felt like she was on this performance treadmill for God, like she could never do enough. She could never earn his favor and she couldn't fix the sin in her heart that she knew was there. And she would just cry and cry and try and she would go to conferences and she'd get built up. And she said she'd go to pastors and, and just cry and say, I just can't live this Christian life. This is too hard. And they said, Francine, you just need to try harder. And she was just like at her wits end and she was so stressed out. I was born a little bit later in life um, and she was having a ton of health problems by then. She started having heart problems. She was having um, fibromyalgia so bad. She said, I didn't know this when I was young, but she said she hurt so bad that it hurt for her to, for the sheets to touch her at night, the bed sheets. Wow. Um, Cause she was in so much pain. And so this hyper rambunctious child that needed a lot of attention. And um, I, you know, my brother and sister were a little bit older, so I, they didn't, my brother played with me some, but I was an only child for part of my childhood. Um, and I, I was always very affectionate and wanting to love on her and hug her, but I didn't understand all this pain she was in. So she pushed me away a lot. It was like, go away, get off of me, leave me alone, just go to your room and just get away because she was so stressed out. And so now that I'm older, I understand that. But to a child, and the reason I share this, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, um, The reason that I share this is because my mom, um, I, I never understood that my mom loved me. I know now that I'm older. Sure. I can totally understand that my mom loved me. And I see how much she was doing for me. Um, she spent so much of her time trying to figure out, I had lots of health problems. And so my mom was always spending time trying to figure out how to fix me. 
mm-hmm. but not really spending a lot of time with me. And as a result, I spent almost all my time with my dad. And so, and, and we see this a lot with um, transgender people for whatever reason. Sometimes it's in cases like mine where there's a, a real misperception of the relationship or uh, sometimes illness and things, you know, beyond our control where the relationship's not very good. Um, sometimes the parent has died, but for whatever reason, there's often an issue with the parent. Um, And a lot of times the child is over-identified with the opposite sex parent. So I spent all my time with my dad. I was told I was just like him. I looked just like him. I acted just like him. And so um, as a result, I didn't really know how to relate to girls very well. So when I went to school, that got reinforced because I was told I I didn't look very much like the girls. Um, I mean, that I didn't act much like the girls, that I was different. You know, and I felt different. I didn't know how to relate. Um. And, yeah. and then I was molested when I was eight. And so that brought a lot of sexual confusion in. And I began to um, live sort of this dual life. And as I began to act out sexually after that, um, I was living in so much shame and guilt and hiding secrets. And I think it made that awkwardness even worse. And then I really didn't feel like I fit, fit in. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you share your story. And thank you for being willing to be vulnerable, be honest Uh, The one thing I'll say for those of you who would pick up uh, Laura's book, Transgender to Transformed, is that you're going to get an honest testimony, an honest kind of story of a person who really went through, lived through what a lot of folks lived through. I mean, ours was the latchkey generation, Laura. A lot of of, uh, kids just wanted time with their parents didn't get a lot of time with their parents, obviously your mom because of sickness. And so you, you have that. You also have the the story of so many who went through sexual abuse. And my heart right. breaks for the number of kids who went through that and just the confusing messages that it sends. And it's so horrific uh, when you know that that happened so many times, reported so many times, unreported. And so you right. go through all of this, and, and you add on top of that uh, an experience in a Christian faith that is work-based, um, performance-based, legalistic, and condemning. And yeah. it's no surprise that you kind of ended a place where you are not only confused within your own identity and the feelings you have, but I would imagine feeling pretty distant from God. Is that the case? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it's weird how we um, how we view God. I mean, God intended our parents to represent him to us. That male and female display different characteristics of God in a unique way, but w- they're not a perfect picture. They're, they're sinners. Sure. And I tell parents all the time, I promise you made mistakes. We all made mistakes. We're all sinners raising other sinners. We're in a world cursed by sin. In fact, just real quickly, I was going to, the one thing the Lord revealed to me a while back, I was overwhelmed one time um, at the number of ways, just the vast number of ways kids could be deceived into these lifestyles and all the things that could contribute. And I started weeping and I said, God, this is so overwhelming. How do I keep these kids from being broken? And he said, you can't. You can lead them to the one that will heal their brokenness. And the Lord reminded me that we were created for the Garden of Eden. But this is not the Garden of Eden, and this is a world cursed by sin. And our parents were never going to be a perfect representation of God. But um, I think so often we see God through the lens of our imperfect parents. And uh, so 
my dad was very loving, affectionate, spent a ton of time with me, but I saw God through the lens of my mother. God is being sure. aloof and distant and, and not wanting to spend time with me. And I saw myself as an inconvenience to God. And, uh, you know, like you said, I was raised in a very legalistic understanding of Christianity. And so my parents were always telling me about the love of Jesus, but what I'm seeing is being stressed out, burned out and not ever being good enough. And so it gave me a pretty distorted picture of the love of Jesus, even though I'm hearing about it. You know, so interesting that you bring that up. And I love that you say that as you've grown in your relationship with God, as you've gotten older, it's interesting. As we get older in life, it does cause us to be more sympathetic to our parents. <laughs> I am way yeah. more sympathetic to my mom and dad than I was when I was in my 20s or teens. And so I appreciate that humility. But as we think about it, and now as a parent myself, I think about like, man, what am I modeling for my children that can yeah. distort their view of God? And not that I can ever be perfect, but at least right. I can help them to understand that, listen, mom and dad are on this journey with you in many ways, right. and we're not going to be perfect, but please get to know God for yourself in his word mm -hmm. because he really does love you. All right, uh, Laura, we got to take a break. But here's okay. what I want to do. There are folks that are listening to us right now. And there's two categories of folks that I would love to call in today. Maybe you've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been thinking about going through a gender transition. Maybe you feel uncomfortable in your body. Maybe you uh, don't feel comfortable around uh, those who are part of your biological gender and you uh, find yourself saying, this just isn't me. Uh, maybe you're ready to escape uh, being a woman or being a man and uh, you, you're ready to do whatever it takes to escape that identity. I think Laura can relate to that, and I'd love to create a safe space for you to call in. You don't even have to use your name. You could be anonymous. Or maybe you're the family member or friend of someone going through transition or considering it. 877-LIVE-675 is the number. That's 877-548-3675. We'll be right back. Hey there, friends. I want to recommend a book about overcoming real-life struggles that hurt us and our marriages. It's called Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away by Dr. Gary Chapman. This book will help you to find personal and marital healing. It's great to read by yourself, as a couple, or even in a small group. Ask for your copy when you support Equip with a gift of any amount this month. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. The phone number, 877-LIVE-675. That's 877-548-3675. Maybe you're the mother or the father, the sister or the brother, the grandparent of a person who's going through confusion um, around their sexual identity. I want to encourage you to uh, call in today. We'd love to be your prayer partner. And Laura... Perry Smoltz is my guest. She has written a powerful book, Transgender to Transformed. I would love for her to be able to answer questions of yours, or maybe you find yourself considering going through a transition yourself. And uh, and that's not something that is rare in this hour. Uh, Laura, as you know, it's becoming more and more popular. Uh, and uh, today we want to be able to pray and answer questions. So the phone number is 877 877- 
548-3675. And again, I just want to create a safe space for you to call. If you want to use your name, fine. If you want to be anonymous, that's fine as well. Just want to invite you to call 877-548-3675. So you experience this um, abuse as a kid. You go through a season of pretty extreme promiscuity, but you finally get to a place where you decide, because that left you empty, right? That that season yeah. of promiscuity just left you empty and feeling like what? Like when you went through that season uh, and you describe it in the book, you thought by giving guys what they quote unquote wanted, that that would cause them to accept you, affirm you, but it was right. the exact opposite. And and that ultimately brought you to a place where you decided maybe I want to be the guy, does, didn't it? Yeah, it did. You know, and the Lord showed me. I didn't know this at the time. I, I wish that I had understood how true God's word is, that I could have trusted his word. You know, I, I what I didn't get to say earlier, that, um, you know, I blamed my mom for so long in my life. And I think so many kids do. But the reality was it wasn't. Um, my mom's fault. Like I said, we're we're all sure. sinners raising other sinners, but the Jesus has showed me that it was the bitterness and unforgiveness in my own heart that began to turn my heart away from the Lord. And so, like uh, Hebrews twelve fifteen and sixteen says, "Looking diligently, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled." So not just yourself. It says many will be defiled. Mm. Then it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. So when we allow bitterness and unforgiveness um, to remain in our heart, and it, I remember I would, um, I would get mad if she wasn't paying attention, and I would try to remember everything she'd ever done to me and drum up more emotion to try to get more attention. <laughs> and so by this time, I had deep bitterness and hatred because I had spent so many years stewing and dwelling on all the things she'd done wrong. You know, and so I think that is a lot. And even Romans one talks about this progression of being given over to lust of our uh, of the flesh, and then unnatural lust, and eventually over to a mind that completely rejects the truth. Yes. And the first thing it says is that God has revealed Himself to every man, but that they were um, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish wow. heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so there, there's this huge connection, I think, between bitterness and unforgiveness and being unthankful and ungrateful and being angry about our circumstances. Yes. Everybody I've ever talked to that's gone into an LGBT lifestyle, um, they may not admit it at first. And most of the time, they don't see these connections. They don't say, my life was this way, and so I identify this way. But they, they create these desires based on um, a lot of anger about their circumstances. A lot of times they have what we call defensive detachment from maybe one of the parents. Um, so for whatever reason. So I just wanted to make that connection for people. No, I think that's there, a powerful, powerful connection, Laura. I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever thought about those connections of bitterness in the heart. Um, yeah. The connection with thankfulness. Um, I, I just think that those are powerful, powerful uh, connections. The phone lines are, are, are starting to fill up. 877, excuse me, 877-548-3675. Going to take your calls in just a moment. But where did the seed get planted in your, mar- in your mind to go through a gender transition? Because 
you're we're about the same age it wasn't popular during that time right uh, so so where'd that seed get planted well you know it started very very early with and this is the defensive detachment when we're angry at one of our parents sometimes we will and we this is one of the reasons that i believe i've studied this so much of god's design of male and females incredible there's over 6500 biological differences between men and women but what happens there um Sometimes when we're hurt by someone, we project that on the entire sex. And so mm. a lot of times when um, if a girl's hurt by her mother, it's, you know, women are this way or women are that. And we, we cut off that femininity. And I said, I will never be like my mother, things like that. Um, and just really begin to identify with my dad. But I really because it was not popular, I'd never heard the word transgender growing up. I didn't think there was I, I lived in sort of a fantasy world, but. I didn't think there was anything I could do about it until, like you said, I was in so much sexual sin and I was in so many bad relationships. I was dumped and rejected over and over. Um, and I finally was like, you know, the reason this never works out is because I was supposed to be the man. If I was the man, I know how to treat a woman. And I, I think I was trying to become what I couldn't get for myself. Sure. I, for whatever reason, I believed this lie very early on in my teenage years. I don't know where it came from. But I had this deep belief that I would never get married because a guy was never going to want me. And I really don't know where that came from. And you were living in a time where in order to get the uh, the uh, transition process going, you needed a diagnosis from a counselor, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. So what yeah. was it like? Describe to us what it was like going to the counselor to get that diagnosis so you could go forward with injections and surgeries. What was that like? You know, I, I had no interest in going to counseling at all. The only reason I went is because it was a requirement at the time per the standards of care. And in the third session, I was just mindlessly answering the questions. I really wasn't thinking about the conversation. I was just trying to get through it. And she put down her notebook. She looked right in my eyes and she was like, wow, you really have issues with your mom. And I was stunned. I was like, whoa, I'm not here to talk about my mom. I don't know how we got from me talking about being a man to talking about my mother. And I blew up at her. I said, I'm not going to talk about this. And she's, uh, she said, so you're just here for this diagnosis? I said, yes. I thought she knew that. Like, that's the only reason I'm here. And she said, okay. And she just gave me what I wanted. Wow. I'm like, hey, what, what um, doctor in their right mind, lets a patient diagnose themselves when they don't believe that's the correct diagnosis. That should be fraud. You know, it should be medical fraud, but that's what's happening in so many. In fact, it's gotten so bad now. There's so much political pressure. I There's a Reddit forum that I'm part of that has like 36,000 members that are supposed to be at least mostly detransitioners. And there's, I saw a post by one one day that said um, they were told by their therapist, why deal with your issues? Talking about the trauma of her past, why deal with your issues? Just transition and be happy. Wow. And that is that is so um, not only sad, but common to the yeah. moment that we are uh, living in right now. Um, here's the thing. I, I want to get deeper into your story. I know there's so many that are calling, but there's parts of your story that I think are so, uh, are so important. So let's, let's go to this group. You, you found this support group that just kind of reinforced, Hey, here's what you're going through. They right. labeled it and encouraged you 
that you can go through a full transition and no longer be a woman. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. You know, and there's there's so much um, in the LGBT community. It, it's almost a, a cult like mentality. And, you know, Romans one says that the people that um, live in in they're not just this lifestyle, but any lifestyle that's in rebellion to God and against our own nature. It says not only not only do they know that this is wrong, but they take pleasure in those that do it, too. And so this group was only transgender people. There was no other adult or no other doctor or anything like that. And so within five minutes, they're like, oh, you are definitely transgender. It's like, I knew it. I knew this was me. And it all made sense. And all of a sudden, my entire life makes sense. And this is why I was so miserable. And, you know, you start um, seeing your life through an entirely different lens. And so I, by that point, I wasn't willing to listen to anybody that had a different opinion. I wanted everybody out of my life that didn't affirm it. I began to take the hormones and I began to have surgery. Um, I eventually had the the breast removed. I had um, a hysterectomy. I had the ovaries removed. You know, and all this time as I'm transitioning and I'm beginning to look like a man, everybody's affirming me as a man, everybody but my parents who really stood on their faith. But everybody else is affirming me. I had a job where I was only known as male. And I had everything that I ever wanted, except I was, it began to dawn on me through the years that this wasn't real. And I still had all the brokenness inside. And I began to realize that I couldn't become a man. And I didn't really know why. I didn't understand the vast difference between male and female. And so I was just empty. Yeah. We're going to pick up this story on the other side of the break. Laura Perry Smaltz is with us today. She's sharing her story of going from transgender to transformed. She is honest. She is real. She's also humble enough to put in her autobiography uh, her story in a, in a powerful way. I want you to stay on the line. We're going to get to uh, Josie's question on the way back. Also, Guadalupe, you stay there as well. So many of you are calling in. Much more to come next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Equippers, thank you for your faithful monthly support. Please don't miss our Zoom webinar coming up on Thursday, November 17th, right after the program. You should have received an email detailing how to sign up for this interactive face-to-face meeting. If you are not an equipper and want to attend, become a monthly partner by calling 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today we're talking about identity, sexuality, and the truth of God's word. Uh, we're sharing the testimony of Laura Perry Smaltz. Laura is such a um, an awesome person in sharing her story of uh, going through gender transition and finding her identity ultimately in Christ. And Laura, I appreciate again the honesty and the transparency of your book. I know you're speaking to a lot of hearts today, uh, both to parents as well as uh, those who are going through or considering going through gender transition or experiencing gender dysphoria. We're going to go to the phone lines. Let's first go to Guadalupe, who's listening in Chicago. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you for your patience as well, Guadalupe. Why don't you go right ahead and ask uh, Laura your question? Well, hello. Thank you for your program. Um, Laura, I'm calling because my oldest daughter uh, was born female, and she is currently in the 
transition phase to a male. Now, my concern is that she was uh, she was also diagnosed with autism, and mm. I was told by her counselor that she that gender dysphoria is part is one of the symptoms of autism, and I just wanted to know, you know how the medical community um, deals with this. If, if if gender dysphoria is a symptom of autism, you know why are they pushing for transition? Thanks, Guadalupe. Laura? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right, they shouldn't be, but there's there's a lot. Um, with the, with this transgender agenda, there's so much in the, uh, that they're doing in the medical community that they shouldn't be. And I've never heard it uh, described as a symptom, but I would say that one of the reasons we see very high rates of transgenderism in, in kids that are autistic is because one of the reasons that people become transgender is because they don't like who they are and most of the time they don't feel like they fit in with their opposite sex or with their same sex for whatever reason so because of the social awkwardness that often comes with autism i think they feel like they don't fit in and then when they come out as trans they are celebrated like they are some kind of hero and all of a sudden they're included in this community and they feel part of it and so i think um that's one of the reasons and i think that's why it's so important for the church to um, to give people that are struggling, people that feel on the outside, um, to give them a sense of community. I've I've talked to so many that felt like they didn't fit in with their youth group, and I think there, there's sometimes youth groups are, are are a bad place for kids that are really struggling because it, it sort of magnifies um, their awkwardness, and it's like, well, I don't fit in here either. And I think youth pastors really need to be aware of kids that are really struggling like that. I appreciate your call, Guadalupe. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, just know that we're praying for you. Please keep us posted about the progress here, and uh, please take Laura's advice and counsel. Uh, I think we need to be a voice of uh, standing against really some of these uh, movements that are more based off of social pressure than science or, or medicine. Um, Josie called and asked a question uh, Laura, that you'll be familiar with. And that question is her 13 year old granddaughter has requested to uh, use a boy's name uh, and to be called by this name in school, by family. Uh, her question is should she accommodate that request? You know, this is one of the hardest questions I get because it, it, I know how difficult this becomes. But the reality is, to me, it, it is a lie that that person is believing about themselves. I believe it goes against what God says. It, it's saying your grandchild is um, knows more about who they are than God does. They're declaring themselves as creator. Um, I can tell you that, that my mom and dad um, never called me Jake, especially my mom was so firm on this, and she would accidentally call me Laura sometimes. Most of the time she called me honey or sweetie or something. Um, but even when she did call me Laura, it, it reminded me of who I was. It was this tethered to reality. And she was the only one in my life consistently, um, very firm on this. And yet she would, I knew she loved me. My parents had proven they loved me. And so even though I was yelling at them, I was telling them how hateful they were being. I knew they loved me. I knew that there's so much of what goes on in, in the heart of a prodigal. I can tell you. Um, they know the truth. I've talked to so many that knew the truth the whole time, but they're constantly trying to override the truth 
but good becomes evil, evil becomes good, love becomes hate, and everything's kind of upside down. But I wanted to share one other thing. I asked the Lord one time for confirmation from the Word. I said, God, I've got to have a biblical defense for this because I believe um, that I cannot affirm these lies. Um, But I wanted to be able to, to have more backup from the Word. And I was studying one time, and the Lord um, brought me to the passage or to the book of Ruth, where Naomi is bitter and angry about her circumstances. And she says, call me Mara. Now, Mara means bitter. Naomi means pleasant. But she said, call me bitter for the Lord has, I, I forgot her exact words, but basically the Lord has um, not been good to me. Yes. And immediately... In like the next verse or two, the Bible calls her Naomi, and another 11 times after that, a total of 12 times after she says, call me Mara, the book calls her Naomi. And so I just, I felt like from the Lord that we have to, even when it's not popular, even if they don't, um, they're angry with us now, keep affirming who God created them to be. And I can tell you that when I finally got sick of the lies, I didn't turn to everybody else that affirmed all the lies. I turned to my parents, the only one who stood on their faith and refused to give in, they're the ones I turn to for help. So encouraging. I appreciate your answer to that question. Uh, I want to go back to this double mastectomy that you had. Um, In many ways, at that season, at that point in your life, I would imagine you thought you probably were thinking that's going to be the apex of happiness when I'm finally able to rid myself of being a woman. But was it was it the apex of happiness that you had anticipated? It seemed to be at first. I mean, you know, and, um, you know, it brought all this, this quote happiness and I'm going to be, this is, uh, I'm, I'm finally going to be free. I, I don't have this part. I hated cause I was, I hated my breasts at the time because it was a source of so much pain. I, I had felt like I didn't have any worth or value as a woman. And so getting rid of that seemed to be good at first, but then in a short time, I began to realize that my surgery hadn't made me a man. And so I began to get very depressed and I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how, like what, like at what point does this become real? And that's when I really started to question. So God was really using that surgery. And then after I had a hysterectomy and had the ovaries removed and it still wasn't real, I thought, okay, I've gotten rid of all the quote female parts. Yes. And I, I still have this dysphoria. And then I began to look at the genital reassignment surgeries and I was horrified at how bad these surgeries are and all the risks and complications. And in fact, I, I've heard of one girl that's permanently in a wheelchair. I know of another one that's had like 31 corrective surgeries. They're horrible, horrible scarring and um, just all kinds of urinary problems. And then on top of that, they said 40 to 60% at that time. I, I don't know if the statistics are different today, but when I looked it up, 40 to 60% would lose all sexual feeling permanently. Wow. And, uh, um, well- let me say this. First off, I'm glad that the Lord uh, kept you alive, that oh, you amen. survived that. And um, and where you are today is just a testimony of God's grace. I, I want to ask um, another question. So you, you obviously, you, you go through all of these things and you find yourself feeling empty inside. Now, Laura, what we're often told is that suicide rates and depression rates are really high among the transgender community and the reason often given is because of a lack of uh, affirmation from broader society or intimate close friends and family what is your sense of the reason why 
depression and suicide are so high? Well, you know, there's various studies out there, but there are studies that have shown back in, um, I can't remember the dates, maybe in the early 2000s, they did studies before transgenderism was really pushed in the media and was really popular. And 85 to like 92% would grow out of it if they weren't socially affirmed and transitioned and all of this. And, but if they're put on, if they're socially transitioned, they're put on puberty blockers, given a new name, a hundred percent, 95 to a hundred percent have wanted to go on a medical transition. So right. the affirmation is leading them further down that path, but it's not, but they show that after puberty blockers, the one study showed from the Tavistock clinic in, in England that they are now, um, I don't know if they're completely shutting down, but they're at least there's some major reform there going on and they're totally backing down on promoting um, transgender transitioning in, in England because of this. Um, but they showed that the suicide and depression rates were basically the same. Another show uh, story out of Sweden, which was one of the most trans-affirming countries, they showed that suicide rates were actually higher. And wow. I think one of the reasons is because, I mean, people cannot understand. I wish I could give people my experience to know the living hell and the nightmare it is to try to live a lie every day. I was reminded all day, every day, all the time. I mean, every time... Um, every time I went to the bathroom, I had a, a prosthetic that I was using, but I mean, my, I was reminded constantly that this was not real and you're, you're constantly reminded. And I would have dreams all the time. The Lord was haunting me with dreams and speaking to me over the radio and different things. But I was reminded of the truth all the time, but I was trying to suppress it. Just like Romans one says that people know the truth, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness because they don't like it. And people don't know. Again, it's that two sided coin of they have rebellion in their heart. God says we've all gone our own way. We have all um, turned away from the Lord and the heart is deceitful above uh, all things and desperately wicked. And yet they've been sinned against and they don't know what to do with all this pain. And so, you know, there's um, they keep trying to suppress it because um, I actually studied um, cults a, um, a couple of years ago. And one thing that I discovered is what they call cognitive dissonance, where they they people are so invested in a lie that when they are faced with truth, that what they're believing is a lie. It's too costly to believe the lie. And wow. so they will override the truth. And in addition, they also start proselyting and trying to get other people to believe it with them because it relieves that co cognitive dissonance. They can't stay at that place of um, being uncomfortable with knowing the truth and yet not embracing it. And so most of the time, and the only time that they will um, finally embrace the truth is when it's more costly to believe the lie. They have, they kind of get to that point where it tips over. And, and this can happen, obviously, on an individual basis. Uh, but in our case, it, it's happening on a mass societal basis right. as well. And we need to be aware of the cognitive dissonance that's happening in this moment. Maybe like me, you find Laura's story very powerful. And uh, some of your questions are being answered, but maybe not all. I want to encourage you towards two things uh, before our next break. Number one, use this next break to order her book. It's a great uh, a starting point to read her story. So many answers are there uh, that will help you to understand what may be going on inside of your own heart and mind, what may be going on in, in the heart and minds of someone you love. 
Also, uh, we have a link to her movie as well, the documentary entitled In His Image. It's a powerful documentary about Laura's story. And you learn a lot, too, about her mom, her amazing mom and dad, who went through their own transformation uh, of heart that ultimately helped Laura to get to a place where she saw the love of God for the first time. Laura, we're going to talk about that transforming season of your life and how God has uh, brought you to this point as well after Mm -hmm. this break. So you stick with us. Friends, I hope that this conversation is a blessing and an encouragement to you. If so, we'd love to hear from you. And maybe today is a day of salvation for you. Maybe today is the day you turn to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. We'd love to do that with you today as well. We'll be right back. If you're talking about a hot topic at home, at work, and with friends, then we want to talk about it too. In fact, every day on Equip, we're talking about current issues and how faith intersects with life. Today, I'm inviting you to become an Equipper. In this role, you'll give a monthly donation to support the ministry of Equipped. And as an Equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. Become an Equipper right now by calling 888-644-4144 or go to EquipRadio.com. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. I'm so grateful for Laura Perry Smaltz to join me today. Um, We've tried to share as much of her story as we could, but obviously in this short time, we can't share all of it. That's why I encourage you to get the book, Transgender to Transform. Also, that's the name of her website as well. But you can go to our website, equipradio.org, order there, or find more about the documentary. All right, Laura, we only have a few moments, and there's so much that seems like we need to cover. So I want to dive right in. How did God really uh, bring you to a moment of repentance and receiving and recognizing his love? And where are things at in your life today? Yeah, that's the most beautiful part of this this whole story is I love how God, you know, my um, my mom and my dad were so transformed during these years, like you said earlier, and they, they got to a point where they realized they couldn't fix me, and they uh, they tried and they tried to help me, but I didn't want their help, and um, but they just began to pursue Jesus. They really surrendered me into the Lord's hands. They didn't give up by any means. They didn't abandon me. They kept praying, but they really began to pursue the Lord with all their heart and let him transform them. And my parents were so, I I began to see them filled with faith and peace. I had never seen that kind of peace in my mother. And eventually, and the Lord had been drawing me. He'd been answering their prayers the whole time. They didn't realize over the years that God was drawing me, but I didn't want God because I still um, I, I liked my sin. Sin is fun for a season. You know, we like the flesh, um, but I was also still angry and bitter. And for so many other reasons, I just didn't want God. But God kept pursuing me anyway. And he opened my eyes one day to how he'd been changing my mother. But um, I began to um, help her with her website for her Bible study. And I really didn't have any interest in the Bible at that time. But he began to um, I just began reading the lessons just for the website so I could kind of summarize the lesson. And the the Lord just began to speak to me through his word. And this wasn't my mother. She didn't like figure out some plan to fix me. <laughs> People have thought <laughs> that in the past. No, she really just needed the website. Um, but God just began to, to reveal who he truly was. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. 
And God began to show me that he was holy, that he was trustworthy, that he was good, that he was faithful, all these things that I had never believed about God. And when I began to see how good God is, I began to see my sin in light of his holiness. And I began to repent of everything I could think of. And I really gave my heart to the Lord and I got radically changed. And I was, my heart was so transformed. I was like, this is what it's like to be born again. I just had no clue. I was on fire for Jesus and I was going to be a man of God, (laughs) but the Lord didn't leave me there. And he began to pursue me. Um, about a year and a half later, the Lord called me to leave that lifestyle. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, I just honestly, I begged the Lord to take my life instead because I could not even conceive of being a woman again. I didn't think I'd ever feel like a girl again. I didn't think I'd ever look like a girl again. I didn't think I'd want to be a girl, but I was just going to obey Christ. I had no hope of transformation. I didn't understand the transforming power of Christ yet. Even though I had seen him change my heart, I didn't understand that he could change my desires. But as the Lord healed me, as he began to peel away the layers, as I began to forgive my mom, as I began to reconcile with her, I began to forgive all the men that had hurt me. I began to, you know, let go of all of that. And I began to embrace who he said I was, even though I didn't feel like it yet. And as I did, God just little by little began to change me. And then um, finally, about maybe two or three years ago, I really began to love for the first time in my life, began to absolutely love being a woman. And I began to study God's design of male and female. And God gave me a longing and a desire for a husband. And we met uh, about a year and a half ago. And we were just married um, this last May, May 14th. So God's got me and brought me an incredible husband. And if it doesn't get, uh, if it gets confusing, his name is Perry. (laughs) My my maiden name is Perry. So that's why I go by Laura Perry Smaltz, but his name is Perry. Uh, Just an incredible godly man. Just loves the Lord. He's a bivocational music minister. So we're both in ministry. And uh, it's just been an incredible journey. And now God has given us a passion to teach um, about his design of male and female and how God's design is so good. And I've learned that God's way is so much better. I wish I'd understood this as a teenager, that if I had followed God's way, not only is it righteous, but it's really good. And I'm, I'm just blown away, really, at the difference between that and all the sexual sin that I lived in for so long. Well, I just want you to know your story is amazing. I have met Perry, your husband. He adores you. And that is so <laughs> sweet to be able to see. There's so much I know that you couldn't pack into this short time. But I want to say thank you. And I want to encourage people to go to your website, check out the documentary, pick up the book, because Laura's uh, story is a blessing. I'd be remiss. I didn't give uh, this number, 1-888-NEED-HIM, 888-NEED-HIM. If today you want to give your heart to Jesus, we would love to wrap our arms around you and help you to take your next step in your journey of faith. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. This is Chris Brooks. You know, as we watch the changing world that we live in, I am confident that God never changes. His word is the one sure thing in our lives. This is why I encourage you to examine all of life from a biblical worldview. Join me as we apply the unchanging truth of scripture to the important issues of our day on the next edition of Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.